A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Hello, I'm Tim Farron and welcome to the show which delves into the mucky business of politics through the eyes of Christians. Well, you might think that politics is tainted by compromise and sin. Of course, you would be right, but then again, so is everything else. And I think we should be praying in an informed way for our brothers and sisters who operate in the world of politics. Today, we'll be joined by the Conservative MP, Fiona Bruce, who serves as the Prime Minister's Special Envoy for Freedom of Religion and Belief. We're going to hear about uh, the work that she does driving the government's... Com- I'll say that again. We're going to hear about the work that she does driving the government's commitment to supporting persecuted minorities around the world, and in particular, about a government-led international conference which will bring politicians and campaigners from 50 countries together to discuss the issue of religious freedom. But before that, you may have noticed that church leaders have once again landed themselves in the headlines for commenting on politics. Archbishops and bishops, some of whom sit in the House of Lords, have been vocal in their opposition to government policy to deport asylum seekers to Rwanda. In response, cabinet ministers have warned that the bishops are on track to get themselves thrown out of the House of Lords for such behaviour. And Conservative MP Lucy Allen cautioned on Twitter that When the church takes a strong political stance, it forgets that many of its congregation, who do not share its view, will feel alienated and unwelcome. Well, just like the Archbishop, I am a Christian parliamentarian, but I tend to attract the opposite criticism. You know, stick to politics and stop talking about God. There is, in my view, a false divide in our society's thinking between the serious business of the secular world on the one hand and the supposedly private disembodied faith that we might have on the other. In reality, to be political is to care about how society is run and how people are treated. The Bible is clear that God made every human being in his image, precious in his sight, and that he cares deeply about how we treat one another. The Bible is also clear that those who lead us are given their authority by him and that they will be held accountable for their actions. At the same time, The church is not a political party, and the Bible is not a manifesto. To respectfully but firmly disagree with Lucy Allen, we must say that the church does not exist to represent the views of its members or to appease their consciences, but to speak the truth of the gospel and to share the love of God. Christians are not called to sit back and wait for God to bestow blessings or thunderbolts. Christians throughout history have actively sought to change the world for the better as an act of service and obedience to the God who has redeemed them. As a Christian involved in the bread and butter of politics, I confess that I am often tempted to be tribal and not to see the other side of an argument. We often double down on our own opinions and fail to understand how anyone can think differently from us. In this, the authority of God is expressed through the Bible and it should be our lodestar. As we read it, we seek the guidance of the Holy Spirit in revealing eternal truths that are current for us today. In its pages, we are bound to find things we disagree with, parts that make us uncomfortable or which contradict current norms, culture and customs. We are very good at pulling out texts to back up what we think already. But we need to look at the whole sweeping story of creation, fall and redemption and seek to understand God's heart through its broad themes. Jesus sought justice on earth for the poor and the needy and those who were neglected by powerful rulers. 
He primarily preached the salvation of souls, but he also got stuck into the reality of the lives of the people around him and encourages us to love others as we love ourselves. Not mushy, saccharine, theoretical love, but gritty, painful, sacrificial love. Jesus burst into a world of sickness and fear and fallen humanity, and it led him to the cross. But perhaps where ministers have most seriously misunderstood the church on this is that ultimately the message of the Bible is offensive. In a culture where we are all encouraged to seek our own destiny and be our own salvation, it is very offensive to be told that we are all sinners in need of forgiveness and that we simply cannot do it by ourselves. To be told that there is one above who is almighty and to whom we must give an account on his terms, not ours. Which means that while conservative ministers should be offended by what church leaders say, they most certainly shouldn't be the only ones. We should all be offended or else the church isn't preaching the gospel or we aren't listening. All this should lead to humility in our dealings with fellow Christians. We can have different views on how to address society's problems without shutting one another down. We should seek to build each other up and to encourage one another to test our opinions against the two greatest commandments, to love God and to love our neighbour as ourselves. Given that the parable of the Good Samaritan clarifies that everyone is our neighbour, I don't think the Bible permits us to demonise or reject refugees. But neither, for example, does the Bible permit us to dispense with its clear call for all to repent and believe in Jesus. So I am all in favour of church leaders being offensive, but I prefer it all the more if they are more comprehensively offensive and told society what it really doesn't want to hear that we need a saviour, and that his name is Jesus. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Well, so too our guest. Fiona Bruce is the Conservative MP for Congleton. She is also the Prime Minister's Special Envoy for the Freedom of Religion and Belief. Fiona, it's a massive joy to have you with us again. You're the first Member of Parliament we've had on this show twice, so congratulations, I think. Well, it's lovely to be with you and the listeners too, Tim. And you're speaking to us from Congleton because you are uh, at the Royal Cheshire Show today as its president, I understand. That's right. Yes. In, in lovely sunny Cheshire. The weather couldn't be better for it. Glorious. Well, we're, we're really pleased to, to have you with us, despite your distance from us. And obviously, as you take on this role, tell me a little bit about it. You've been the Prime Minister Special Envoy for some time now. How did the role come about for you? Well, it's a role that um, the, the Prime Minister asked me to undertake. Um, and uh, I, I believe that he, he asked me because rather like you, Tim, for, for many years I've been involved in the all-party parliamentary group for freedom of religion or belief, uh, a group that was founded, uh, as we know, about 10 years ago and, and which over the years has grown. Um, I don't know if you know, but it's actually now the largest all-party group in Parliament. We wow. have about 160 MPs and peers who are members uh, out of the hundreds of all-party groups. And so over the years, MPs like you and I, concerned about uh, persecution and the persecuted church, have raised questions in Parliament, uh, called debates. And um, I believe as a result of that, the Prime Minister realised I, I may be a good candidate to, uh, to be his envoy on this subject. Mm. It's encouraging to see that people are chosen for roles in government uh, because of the aptitude and the interest they've shown before they got them. And I think that's not necessarily how the public 
see appointments and promotions. So it is, I mean, from a very personal point of view, something I consider to be a, a really great thing. It's a wonderful thing that you're doing this, this role. But obviously in the, in the coming days, uh, just about two weeks' time, on the 5th and 6th of July, your role will become all the more important because the UK will be hosting the International Ministerial Conference on Freedom of Religion and Belief, something which will be happening just across the road from Parliament at the QE2 Centre. So Fiona, tell us a little bit about what that conference is going to be all about. Well, yes, Tim, this is really exciting. Um, the, uh, the conference is going to be held, as you say, at the, the International Conference Centre, the QE2 in Parliament Square. And the UK is bringing together uh, from around 50 countries, government ministers, faith leaders and uh, faith representatives, um, civil society activists, so groups of, of organisations who, who champion freedom of religion or belief, like uh, people from CSW, Christian Solidarity Worldwide, or Open Doors, or Aid to the Church You Need, bringing them all together to discuss this huge global concern, which actually is under-recognised and has been under-addressed. Um, and not just to talk, but also to, to, to look at how we can uh, agree some really practical solutions to, to, to stop the, the increase. Um, because the scale is huge. Um, mm. Open Doors in their current year's World Watch List estimate that 360 million Christians across the world are highly persecuted. So this is a huge issue, and yet very little recognised, um, either in mainstream media or in government policy uh, decisions. Mm -hmm. So that's what this conference is all about. Let's all get together and see what we can do to address mm -hmm. it. As you say, so 360 million Christians mm -hmm. uh, who are identified by the Open Doors um, yes. list as being subject to high or very high levels of persecution. I mean, would you talk us through what that looks like in reality for those who are suffering? What does it mean to suffer high or very high levels of persecution in, in practice? Well, yes. Um, I mean, millions of people across the world are, are losing the right to an education uh, and a job, a home. Uh, their, their churches are destroyed, their, their pastors are imprisoned. Mm. Um, Millions are discriminated against in other ways. They, they can't vote. They can't get the jobs they'd like. Uh, they're marginalised, beaten, threatened, tortured, killed, um, simply because they believe something different from the majority around them, simply because of what they believe. This is what persecution today looks like. And, and in the most extreme cases, and many of us will be familiar with with North Korea, um, mm. it means life imprisonment. Um, it means incarceration in modern day concentration camps. Mm. And of course, it isn't just Christians who are affected, although the persecution of Christians is, is huge globally. But, mm. um, you know, we, this is affecting people of all faiths and none, whether it's Buddhists in Tibet or the Rohingyas in Myanmar, Yazidis in Iraq, Uyghurs in China, Hindus and Ahmadiyya Muslims in Pakistan, yeah. Jehovah's Witnesses in, in Eritrea and Russia. Yeah. Um, if I can give you, can I just give you, uh, perhaps paint a story. Of, um, the, the first one is a young girl called Farah. And Farah was 12 years old when she was taken uh, by a, a mob, not, uh, not by her, her, 
her state, her country, because often this, this persecution is perpetrated by states, by countries on their own people. This is the tragic thing. Um, in other cases, countries stand by and don't properly protect people's freedom of religion or belief as they should. But Farah, um, she, was, she was taken by, by men um, from her home in Pakistan, age 12. Uh, she was kidnapped for what's called forced marriage, which is really serial rape. Unfortunately, happening to some estimates are up to a thousand girls a year there. And during around uh, five months of, of being really enslaved, uh, she was shackled in an, in an animal's yard. She was forced to clean dung. Um, they tied her, her ankles with, with chains uh, and they also sexually abused her. Poor Farah was, as I say, 12 years old, uh, simply because she was a Christian and it was considered acceptable to treat her in this way. And then finally, a lady called Helen Bahane, gospel singer in Eritrea, and she was imprisoned um, for her faith, but not as we think of as a prison, but in Eritrea, people can be imprisoned in holes in the ground or in shipping containers. Mm. She was imprisoned in a shipping container. And uh, in those containers, you're, you're almost burnt to death in the heat of the day or frozen to death at night. Yeah. And most prisoners go mad. She didn't go mad. And when her guards asked her, why haven't you gone mad? She said, because I've got the word of God in my head and that's keeping me alive. And you know what they did then? They started beating her head to beat it out of her. But the wonderful thing is she survived her sentence, many don't, and she now speaks around the world uh, about her faith and her survival, and she's coming to our conference to do just that. Wow. So God's faithful. Yes, he is, and, and, and they're, they're amazing and, and, and horrifying stories as well. And A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. We're talking to Fiona Bruce. She's the Prime Minister's Special Envoy for the Freedom of Religion and Belief. And obviously at this conference, there are many, many countries. Uh, is the danger with a conference like this is that the people who come along are, are the ones who aren't the problem. Um, and the places where there is serious persecution of Christians and others just simply don't engage or are the people at this conference who we think do have human rights records that are not to be proud of and who may be brought further along the journey by being being with us at the conference? Actually, you're right on both counts. Um, we've been planning this conference for many, many months, since, since uh, last year. And uh, initially the countries who were showing interest were those who are part of an alliance that I have the privilege of chairing an international alliance for freedom of religion or belief. Uh, that's a country, uh, an alliance now of 36 countries, uh, countries from uh, the US and Brazil across to Sierra Leone in Africa, through Cyprus, uh, across to Australia and many countries in between. And, and we work together, we meet together virtually, we um, try to call out abuses like the ones I've talked about. Mm. And um, so the Alliance countries uh, were the ones showing enthusiasm initially. But what's been really interesting now is that in the last few weeks, I'm finding that I'm being approached by uh, diplomatic representatives from countries who aren't part of the Alliance, who are saying, we want to come. Mm. Um, just last week, I had a meeting with um, 
the ambassador from Uzbekistan uh, in London. Now, Uzbekistan is a country where there are many prisoners of conscience, where they haven't got a good record on this. Mm. He acknowledged that, but he said to me, we're on a journey. Can I have an invite to your conference? And I thought we're getting somewhere there. Wow. And he wa- and he said, um, can I bring some uh, representatives from Uzbekistan and can we have a one-to-one meeting with you whilst we're at the conference to talk about how we can progress on our journey? Isn't that encouraging? Isn't it just? That's, that is tremendous news and that shows that you know, potentially we are taking people with us towards greater levels of, of tolerance. That- Absolutely. And I just want to, because I want people to pray about these countries. Yes. Now, the, the ambassador of Kazakhstan, yes. and I'm not pronouncing it very well, is going to meet me next Friday. Right. Uh, I think they've heard Uzbekistan is coming and I think they are now interested. So yes. isn't it interesting that um, I think there's something is happening here. And if people could pray about this, yes. uh, about those countries... I am, I am going to visit Algeria uh, mm. in, in early September with um, two or three other colleagues from our alliance, from the representatives from the Netherlands and the Czech Republic. Um, we, we, we are part of the steering group of the alliance and we're going to go to try to talk to some of the, um, the government ministers and the faith leaders there um, because there are challenges in Algeria uh, they haven't opened all the churches following the pandemic. They're using that as a, an excuse, using health and safety as an excuse. Um, so pray that um, countries like these uh, really can move. Um, and and it's, it's, it's doing it in a way that's, um, that's really very sensitive. You would understand that, Tim. You know, you can't be finger waggy. It has to be about a relationship and yeah. mutual respect. Yes. Uh, well, and thank you, and we will be praying um, for you, for the conference, and for those for those countries. Uh, a quick a moment for sort of self reflection, as it from the point of view of two British Christian politicians. Mm. Um, obviously, it's great that the UK is hosting this conference. Clearly, what you're saying, the very fact that we're holding it, is drawing people to consider their own records, and that is a, mm. a massive blessing. Do you have any concerns that even in this country, religious freedoms might be at risk or under pressure? I do. My role, actually, ironically, is is international faith. I I cover every country in the world Mm. uh, as the Prime Minister's envoy, uh, except the UK. Um, (laughs) But we have a faith uh, minister, Kemi Badenoch. Uh, I met with her last week. And yes, I do think that there are concerns here um, about the freedom of speech of people, including Christians, to speak out about biblical truths without fear of recrimination. And I think that's something that we have to be very, very careful of in this country. And mm. I think that, that many people are, uh, are not speaking out because they're concerned about being criticized or, or even um, a fear that they might be breaking the law when actually we do, we, we ought to be able to speak out about uh, our beliefs and we ought to be able to do so unless we're inciting violence uh, without fear of recrimination from the law. So yeah. I think there's a work to be done there, Tim. You're absolutely right. But one thing we do have to bear in mind is that my role, by and large, not only is it international facing, but we are trying to tackle at this conference persecution, 
we're mm. trying to tackle when people are, are like the Hazaras in Afghanistan are being beheaded and left by the roadside or young girls like Farah being serially mm. raped in many countries. We're trying to deal with grievous, grievous attacks, but that doesn't excuse any country which is calling this out from also examining their own record. Indeed. I agree. On, on that level, do you think that the Truro goals have been fully reached, as reached as far as they can be? Are there any outstanding recommendations that you think the UK government could still be putting into practice? Well, thank you. The, the, the Truro review, as listeners may remember, was, um, was uh, instigated by Jeremy Hunt when he was the foreign minister. Mm. He asked the Bishop of Truro to look at how our foreign office officials could better tackle discrimination uh, and persecution. And um, there are 22 recommendations. Many of them are very, very far reaching, have great depth. And, and there's a lot more that needs to be done. I, I know this, Tim, um, mm -hmm. working on them as I do. Um, let me give you an example from, from my own perspective. Um, recommendation six is the one that actually instituted my role as an envoy. Mm. Now, uh, and that's why this role exists. Um, but the, the recommendation says not just that there should be a, an envoy appointed by the Prime Minister, but that it should be put into statute, that it should be in perpetuity, um, as it is, for example, in America. Now, people would say, well, why should, why should that happen? Why should there be a, a, a law that says uh, a, a, that a Prime Minister should appoint an envoy? Well, the reason is because on any change of government, the envoy should still be appointed. Mm. I only serve at the, uh, uh, the will of the prime minister in office. If there's a change of government, mm. it may be the choice of a future prime minister not to appoint an envoy mm. because it's a personal decision. So we need to get that into yes. law. Yes. Um, I'll give you another example. And, and then, as in America, where there was a change from, say, uh, the last administration to the Biden administration, the role continues. A different appointee, but the role continues, and the role has great resources. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm in a, what I hope isn't an unchristian way, quite jealous of the Americans. They, they have 40 staff in their freedom of religion. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's wonderful. But um, let me give you another example. I could go through many. There's a lot more work to be done. Um, the one of the, the the recommendations, recommendation eleven, was about uh, improving what we call the religious literacy of our officials working in the Foreign Office, both here in London and in embassies across the world. Now, there's been some good training modules done about faiths, but they haven't yet been effectively disseminated across the world. They haven't been um, uh, studied and looked after and understood. And if, if our officials haven't yet, to, to a satisfactory extent, accessed these, then it limits how they can engage with mm. faith communities in the countries they represent. The whole point is to try to promote dialogue and understanding and for our officials right around the world to be a part of that. But the, these materials have spent a long, people have spent a long time writing them, but they still need to be uh, yeah. disseminated across our, um, our foreign office worldwide. 
Fiona, it's really encouraging to hear you be very honest about um, the progress that's been made, but also the progress that is still to be made. And um, uh, re really, really impressive that you are you're so open and honest with us about that. Fiona, we're really grateful to you for your work in general, and in particular for your leadership on this really important conference that could genuinely uh, change lives right around the world. Uh, Fiona, God bless you. Good luck with the, with the show. Thank you, Tim. Wonderful to have been with you. God bless you too. Each week, we give you the opportunity for you to ask any question you'd like about this mucky business of politics. It may be how an aspect of this world impacts us as Christians who work within it. Or maybe there's a particular issue that you're struggling to make sense of. I would love to hear from you and attempt to answer whatever you send in. So please drop me an email to farron at premier.org.uk. Now, this week, Linda in London has been in touch and she asks the following. What fight back are Christians in Parliament doing against woke culture? If not, why not? Right. Well, as every good A-level student knows, best thing to do is to challenge the assumption in the question. What is woke culture and should Christians be angry about it? My sense is there's if we think of woke culture as being a, a basket of concerns and, and views, some of them are things that Christians should be right behind, the sense that we want to be kind to other people, gentle, be aware of their feelings. We should care about things like climate change and the environment. We should care about equality and people being treated equally. On the other hand, uh, we will not be comfortable about notions to do with gender and sexuality and uh, other things that may be considered to be, and indeed are, anti-biblical. So anybody I think who was a Christian who I knew well and who imbibed the whole of woke culture in inverted commas, undiluted, I get alongside them and I'd seek to counsel them in those areas where I feel that they were um, not understanding the Bible's clear message. But I'll tell you, if somebody came to me furious at woke culture and who was a Christian who I knew well, I'd counsel them as well. What is it about gentleness that you've got a problem with? What is it about the environment you've got a problem with? What is it about treating people kindly and using language that doesn't deliberately offend you've got a problem with so i think we should be very careful that we as christians don't fall into either side of the culture war we show kindness and respect and hold out the love of jesus yes the bible is offensive but we are to hold it out in a very gentle way if you have a question for tim email farron at premier.org.uk well let's end together in prayer loving heavenly father uh, you who breathe the universe into existence but cares intimately about each and every one of us. Uh, it's a privilege to come before you and to lay before you our requests. And we want to uh, bring before you our sister Fiona Bruce. We thank you for the position that you have put her in as a Prime Minister's envoy for freedom of religion and belief. And we thank you for the work that she is doing in helping to organise the International Ministerial Conference on the 5th and 6th of July. We pray that be a really successful conference. We also pray uh, and are encouraged to hear already that there are countries whose human rights records are far from spotless, but who are showing interest in coming along to the conference. And we just pray that more countries of that kind would come to the conference, would be involved in the alliance, so that the lives of people um, who have different 
views would be protected. We particularly think of those who are Christians and who are persecuted uh, around the world. As a result of this conference and the, uh, the, the run up to it, we would see changes in how countries treat those who are religious minorities, particularly Christians, and see people liberated. Lord, in this country, we are during a week now of industrial strife. Um, and we just want to lift up to you, everybody involved. We pray for reconciliation. We pray for those who um, may be on picket lines, those who may be queuing on a station platform. We just pray for reconciliation. We pray for patience. We pray that um, your uh, amazing peace and reconciliation might become something that is known to people through this time. And that those who lead our country uh, would be those who would seek to unite and draw people together uh, and not to divide. We ask all of these things for the sake of your precious son, Jesus. Amen. Well, thanks ever so much for joining us for this week's show. Don't forget, you can catch up on past episodes which feature interviews with party leaders, former government ministers and MPs from all the major parties. Just search for A Mucky Business on your chosen podcast provider or head to premierchristianradio.com forward slash A Mucky Business. We'll see you soon. It's been a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you.